Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, and I'm just going to read the first two verses. The Gospel of John, verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 1. Let's all give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would sweeten this part of your word in our hearts and in our lives this morning, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, who together with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, this afternoon, uh, when I returned home to Orlando, we're having a uh, shower for my daughter-in-law, one of my daughters-in-laws who lives in the area. To me, it's going to be a big shower. There are like 50 people, and we're hoping, we're glad that it's sunny, even though it's a bit cool uh, for us. Uh, Northerners are saying this morning, this is not what we signed up for when we decided to come to Florida. Uh, But at any rate, uh, this is the only day of winter that we'll have this year, so be (laughs) Um, But at any rate, when Evan and Angela got married, Adele and I finally won. You know how at, um, at receptions where they have this dance with married couples and like everybody who has been married for only five years has to leave and then only 10 years has to leave and fifth, we finally won. And that's only because my daughter-in-law's grandparents couldn't make it to the wedding. Uh, it'll be 42 years this summer and I know for some of you we're just spring chickens. Uh, but, in, but in our culture... To be married for 42 years, that's a long time. Now, we're going to do something similar this morning, but I'm, I'm not going to ask you to get up and dance. Uh, that would be too much for Presbyterians. Um, th- it's even going to be a stretch for Presbyterians to put their hand up in church. <laughs> but would you humor me and put your hand up in church and keep your hand up? I, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, you thought I was joking. No, no. This, we're actually playing. Okay, now, uh, how many of you were alive in uh, 10 years ago in 2007? Keep your hand up. Okay, how about, um, how about 97? How about uh, 87? Some hands are going down. How about what's before that? 77, 67, 57, 47. Oh, that was a big year. <laughs> okay, uh, we're 37, 27, 27. Anybody alive? Okay, let's go back up then. So nobody here was alive. Anybody alive in 27? Yes, one in 27. Now, I think we have to admit that the world in which we live today, the United States in which we live, is really, really different 
than, than all of those previous sevens. Change is taking place so rapidly, even 2007. But go back 30 years, 40 years. It, culturally, we're just not in the same world that we used to be in uh, back in the day. A lot of things have changed. Uh, my one son from uh, Texas is uh, in for the shower with his wife and my grandson. And we were talking about this kind of thing. You know, why have things changed? What makes the difference? Why are things so different in our culture? But you can't presume things that you used to be able to presume in our culture. You can't presume things in the church that you used to be able to presume. And... Um, For example, who is Jesus? Muslims recognize Jesus. Jews recognize Jesus. Many Eastern religions recognize Jesus. But who is Jesus? It's interesting that all four Gospels start by introducing us to Jesus. They all do it in a different way. And so we're going to do a short series called uh, Meeting the Messiah. We're going to look at John 1, 1 to 18. Now, we're kind of backing into this series because we've already done the last verse, the last time I was here, uh, where we looked at Jesus as the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father and has made the Father known. So we want to look at John's introduction to Jesus as, in in most of our translations, as the Christ. But remember, the Greek word Christos is a translation of the Hebrew word that better comes into English as Messiah. Uh, Christ isn't his name, it's a title, and it means that he's the anointed one. And the Gospel of John is one of the few books in the Bible that explicitly tells us why it was written. Most of the time, we have to try to do some detective work to figure out what was the purpose of writing this book, if we can sharpen it to one thing. But we don't have to with John. Now, the Apostle John waits till the end of his book to tell us. But in John chapter 20, he says, I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that in believing, you might have life in his name. It's not just enough to acknowledge that there is a Jesus. We have to know who this Jesus is. Who is, as we confess today, uh, with regard to what true faith is, it is knowledge, it is the doctrine taught in the scriptures, and it's a wholehearted embrace of that that's generated in us by the Word and by the Spirit. And so we want to just take our time over the winter, if we can really call it that, and the spring, and look at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. This morning we're looking at just those first couple of verses, 1 and 2. And all we want to do is just walk through clause by clause uh, through this text and listen to the Apostle John as he introduces us to the Christ. Well, John starts by saying, In the beginning was the Word, 
And as soon as we hear those words in the beginning, we're automatically hearing an echo of Genesis 1.1. It is not an accident. When John says in the beginning in Greek, he's using the exact same language that the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible uses. We're taken immediately back to Genesis 1.1 in the beginning. And that short phrase in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, refers to the whole six-day period of creation. We could paraphrase in the beginning as, during the six days of creation. Uh, we know that, for example, from the Ten Commandments. You are to work six days and rest one, because in six days, God created the heavens and the earth, Right? In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. But what does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, and God created the heavens and the earth in six days, in the beginning refers to that six-day period of creation. And uh, this idea that in the beginning refers to a a period of time, is supported by the New Testament in texts like Philippians 4.14. The ESV says in Philippians 4.14, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel. But notice how the NIV translates that. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. The beginning of the gospel is not a punctiliar event. It's those early days, that early period of time. And so when John is introducing us to the Messiah, he takes us back to that time of creation. Those six days when God was making heaven and earth. And we're going to see why that's the case in greater detail, uh, in particular next week. John goes on to say, in, begin, in the beginning was the Word. Now, we think was, and we just we read right by it. Uh, remember the uh, rabbi who said, kissing your, uh, reading the Bible in translation is like kissing your bride through the veil. There are often nuances that are missing. And there's a tense that is used here in Greek that is used for duration. It's kind of like, um, yesterday I was cutting up pallets that were in my son's backyard to get ready for today's uh, shower. It's not something that I did in a split second. Just ask my back. Uh, It's something that I did over a duration, over a period of time. And that's what this was is. In the beginning was. Over that six days of creation, that duration was. That's what John is getting at here as he continues to introduce us. Now, what's interesting is that when we go to the next verse, Lord willing, next week, verse 3, John shifts verbs and he uses another verb that we're going to look at then. But just uh, look at verse 3 for a moment. All things came into being. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Uh, See, John is clearly distinguishing Jesus, who was at the time of creation, from all these other things that one by one came into being. 
Clearly, he's showing us who Jesus is in relationship to the creation as a whole. Now, the next thing he says books have been written on was the Word. And I'm not joking. Not only popular books, but scholarly books, articles, encyclopedia articles have been written just on this question What does John mean by the word? The Greek word is logos. Uh, You've probably heard that word. I use Bible study software called logos. Um, It's kind of strange when you type it in your word processor because it thinks you're saying logos. But at any rate, the Greek word, everybody say logos. That's the word that John is using, and it's a word with which his original readers would have been very familiar. Uh, It's a word that is rich and full, and it draws from all sorts of Old Testament and Jewish traditions. Uh, Books have been written on it. I want to say something in just a couple of minutes about it. So I just want to boil it down and share two things with you that John has in mind when he says, at the time of creation... Over those six days, duration was the Logos. One of the things that this word is used for in the Old Testament, the Greek translation, is that by which God creates. The Logos is the means by which God created. A well-known psalm, Psalm 33, 6. By the blank of the Lord, the heavens were created. Who can fill in the blank? By the word of the Lord. Now, when that's translated into Greek, it's by the the logos of the Lord. And so this, the word word in Hebrew, in Greek, is used regularly for how God brings about the creation. So you see, it makes sense, right? During the six days of creation, the Logos was. the log. And of course, what does Genesis 1 say repeatedly at the beginning of every one of the six days? How does every one of the six days start? And God said. And God said. And God said. No wonder the psalmist says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The Logos is the means by which God created. And of course, Logos word, the Logos is the means by which God reveals himself. And there are just so many places in the Old Testament where this is in the fabric of the text. I'm just going to give you one, uh, Jeremiah 1.4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, How many times do we read that in the prophets? The word, the logos of the Lord came to me saying. When John introduces you to the Messiah, he starts by taking you back to the six days of creation. And he says that in some mysterious sense, the Messiah was there. Now, we've just finished celebrating the what of Jesus? The birth of Jesus. And so we tend to think that Jesus was born, uh, let's just use uh, the year zero. Uh, Jesus was born in the year zero on December 25th. 
Uh, that's kind of the way we think. And John wants to kind of take us deeper than that. He's introducing us to a Messiah and he's taking us all the way back and saying this Logos was back at the time of creation. And he wasn't just at the time of creation, but he's the power by which God brings the creation into existence. And the creation is intended to reveal God by the word of the Lord. The heavens were made and the heavens declare the glory of God. Jesus is the one through whom God creates. Uh, The word is the one through whom God creates and through whom God is revealing himself even at the time of creation. Now, the second clause, John goes on to say, the word was with God. The word was with God. See, first he references the word, then he tells us something about the word. Not only was the word there at the beginning, but the word in particular was with God. Now, if if I am with you, that means I am not you. To be with implies a distinction. And so when John says the word was with God, John is clearly distinguishing the word from God. Now you got to hang with me here because there's just a lot of fuzzy thinking in the world in general and in the church in particular over who Jesus is. And so we have to see that John's being very careful when he introduces us to Jesus so that we know precisely who he is and he tells us that Jesus is, the word is to be distinguished from God and you're getting a little bit uncomfortable right now. Right? Now, here's what you have to also keep in mind. It is typically the case that when the New Testament refers to God, Theos, the New Testament is referring in particular to God the Father. Whenever there's no further qualification and the New Testament just says Theos, God, the New Testament is referring to God the Father. I'll give you one example of that. In the well-known Trinitarian benediction, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. But notice what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, which preachers will often add, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Just by referring to God, Theos, with no qualification, everybody in that era understood the references to God the Father. So now you can relax a little bit, right? Because John, John understands this. And when John says that the Word was with God, what he's saying is that the Word was with the Father... And so he's saying the Word is distinguished from the Father. The Word and the Father are simply not the same. They are two different persons. And so he's introducing us to the Messiah, and he distinguishes the the Word from the Father. But when he also says with, he's not only distinguishing, he's bringing close together. Uh, 
I was with my whole family over the last week. And that means some weren't scattered here and there and everywhere. We were all together, close with each other. How close? Well, John's going to wait 18 verses to tell us how close. But you'll recall from the last time I was here in 118, John is going to tell us that Jesus, as the only begotten God, uh, is the one who is in the bosom of the Father, that closest of all relationships. So as, as John is introducing you to the Messiah... He tells you that the Messiah is the Word who was active all the way back in the beginning during that six days of creation. The power by which God brings the heavens and the earth into existence. And he tells you that that there was a very close relationship between the Word and between the Father. But he also reminds you that the Word and the Father must not be confused. They must not be conflated. They are different. And then the third clause goes on to say, the Word was God. Perhaps one of the most shocking statements in the whole of the Bible with regard to Jesus in particular. Now, you know me, I love language and I love grammar and it's been fun to have my um, middle son here. My middle son is a Chinese linguist for the government and he and I, I mean, whatever I know about language, this kid's like got it in spades. Um, he, he has, he's fluent, fluent, fluent in two languages, English and Chinese, as if that's not enough. But he studied all kinds of other languages. Uh, I remember once when he was stationed in Washington, D.C., we were out for dinner, and um, he said something in a foreign language to this, uh, our server, and she kind of blushed a little bit, and I said, what did he say to you? And and she said, well, he told me I'm a beautiful woman. And then later he said, I know how to say that in about 22 languages. (laughs) Of course, now he only says it to his wife, but at any rate. Um, so so we, we love to just sit and spend time talking about language and the, how language reveals who God is and all sorts of things. So just a little bit of grammar here. Sometime maybe somebody knocked on your door a Jehovah's Witness. And of course, one of the things that always comes up when we talk to Jehovah's Witnesses is, who is Jesus, right? Because they acknowledge Jesus, But for Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is not what? Jesus is not God. They'll say Jesus is a God, which is inconsistent because they know the Bible teaches there's only one God. And if there's only one God, how can Jesus be God and the Father be God and there only be one God? They're bumping right into the Orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. They just won't acknowledge it. Uh, we're going to talk about light shining into darkness and darkness not understanding it. Uh, but that's for another sermon. And the, the point that is made by Jehovah's Witnesses comes right from this text. A little bit of grammar. The reason why Jehovah's Witnesses say that this does not say Jesus is God is because there's no definite article on the word God. Now, English grammar. What, what's the definite article in English? The, uh, or the, depending on what it goes in front of. 
And Greek has definite articles, and there is no definite article on the word God here. And so Jehovah's Witnesses say, this doesn't say Jesus is the God. This says Jesus is a God. That's already logically problematic, but at any rate, it's grammatically problematic. And you might not remember what I'm saying here, but just remember the affirmation of the truth here. In Greek... When you have a subject and a predicate, the predicate doesn't have the definite article. For example, if I were to say in Greek, Mark is the preacher, there wouldn't be any definite article. That's just not the way Greek grammar works. If we were to say Mark is the preacher in Greek, we would say Mark is preacher. That's just good Greek and that's what John says. For example, if we look at uh, 1 John 4, 6, God is love. God is the subject, love is the predicate, no article. In John 1, the word is God. The word is the subject, God is the predicate, no article. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, even if you don't remember all the details, just remember Grammatically, from Greek, John is not saying Jesus is a God among many. He is saying Jesus is divine. Jesus is God like the Father is God. The Word, we could translate this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, distinguished from the Father, and the Word was divine. As divine as the Father is divine. So it will not do to just say with Muslim neighbors, Jesus was a great prophet. True, it does not go far enough. It doesn't go to what John first introduces us to. John doesn't start by telling us what a great prophet Jesus was. He starts by telling us that Jesus was duration. Back at the beginning, six days of creation. Powerful force by which the Father brings about the creation to reveal the Father. This one was, while distinguished from the Father, he was the same as the Father, as to his deity. Now, how can Jesus be different from the Father and the same as the Father? It's a mystery. It's the mystery of the Trinity, but it's what the church hammered out generations and generations and generations ago. And the church in different times and places, even in the early church, used different language. But the language the church tended to settle on is that as to their nature, the Father and the Son are the same, but as to their person. They are different. Uh, Clayton and I, I, I'm guessing, we have the same nature. We're both humans, right? We're, I, I'm presuming something here on your part, but... Uh, okay, that's for another conversation. But I'm, I'm presuming that we both have the same nature. We have human nature. But Zach and I aren't the same person. We're different persons. And in, in a similar way, that's all I can say. When we're talking about God, things get really 
kind of funky because finite people like you and me who are sinners, so our thinking is distorted at times, are trying to talk about a perfect and infinite God. So while we can say things truly about God, we can never say things exhaustively about God. If I learned anything from Cornelius Van Til uh, back in my seminary days, it's that which has been most helpful. You can truly know God while you can never fully know God, simply because he's infinite and we're finite. But in some analogous way, you see, the Father and the Son share the exact same nature, as divine as divine can be. And yet they're distinguished. The Father is not the Son. Same nature, Two different persons. Well, this idea that the word was God is not only supported by grammar, but by the context. And you'll remember, uh, or I'll remind you, or I'll tell you for the first time if you weren't here, that when we go to the end of this text, John chapter uh, 1 and verse 18, John refers to Jesus as the only begotten God. Now, if you're reading the NIV... The ESV, your translations are not going to say that. That's why you need to open up your NASB. Can I get an amen from at least Clayton on this one? Oh, we got another one there. The NASB is the translation that nails it on this one, that Jesus is the only begotten God. As to their nature, the Word and the Father are the same. As to their person, they are different. And you thought that this was just an e- See, we got to think. we got to slow down. Every word that John chooses here, he chooses very precisely and very carefully because he's introducing us to the Messiah of the world and he wants to make sure we know who he is. Well, the last clause is a summary. He says, this one was with God in the beginning. Now, most translations will say he. Fair enough, but, but the pronoun in Greek, he, is not used. It's the demonstrative pronoun, the near one, this one. This one, the word. The word who was in the beginning. The word who is distinguished from the Father. The word who was very near to the Father. The word who is divine like the Father is divine. This one was with God, near to God, in the bosom of the Father when? In the beginning. See, John, while he's writing in Greek, he's a Jew. And uh, his Greek is thinly veiled Hebrew. And he uses a beautiful technique here when he starts by saying, in the beginning, and he ends by saying, in the beginning. It's very common. Just think of Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's how the psalm starts. How does it end? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hebrew writers will often mark the beginning and the end of a unit with this kind of repetition. That's why I'm only preaching on 
these two verses because they are a unit. John tells us they're a unit, uh, not with colors and changing fonts, but by repeating in the beginning, in the beginning. And of course, the other reason I'm not preaching on more is because we're out of time. This one. The one that I've just said so much to you about in so few words. This one was with God in the beginning. Now, by way of conclusion, let's just reflect for a couple of minutes on all four Gospels. Let's start with Mark 1. Because Mark introduces us to the Messiah in Mark 1. And um, he doesn't start by telling us about Jesus' death. He doesn't start by telling us about Jesus' teaching ministry. Mark takes us all the way back to Jesus' baptism and his temptation in the wilderness. So when Mark is introducing us to the Messiah, he takes us back to the baptism in the Jordan River and the temptation in the wilderness. Well, when we look at Luke, Luke introduces us to Jesus in Luke 1 and 2. But Luke takes us further back. Luke takes us back to Jesus' birth. And if you've paid attention over the last couple of weeks, most of the time when we're reading stories from the Bible about the birth of Jesus, we're reading out of the Gospel of Luke. Because while Mark goes pretty far back, baptism and temptation, Luke goes back another 30 years to Jesus' birth. Well, when we look at Matthew, in Matthew 1, Matthew introduces us to Jesus the Messiah. And when he does so, he takes us back all the way through Jesus' ancestry to Father Abraham. He takes us back to roughly 1800 B.C. So not 30 years back, 1800 years back. He wants us to know who Jesus is. And Jesus is somebody who's rooted in history. He's a real historical figure. He's a descendant of David. He's a descendant that goes all the way back to Father Abraham. See, each of these Gospels is introducing us to Christ and some are taking us a little further back. Well, I don't know if there was any brotherly competition between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but John says, I'm going to one-up you. When I'm introducing you to the Christ, we're going all the way back. We're going way back behind the baptism and the temptation. Way behind the birth. Way behind Father Abraham. If you want to understand more fully who Jesus is, you've got to go back to the beginning. He was there. In that six-day period, He was there when God was creating the heavens and the earth. The logos of God was there. The power by which God was creating the heavens and the earth. Uh, The revelation of who God is was there. Even back in the very beginning. John says, this is your Messiah. This is your Savior. 
This is your Lord. He's not one who was only born in time and space. As we shall see, this word is going to become flesh. But long before the word became flesh, the the word was. With God, not the Father. Truly God, which is why in the Nicene Creed we confess that the second person is very God of very God, light of light, truly God in the beginning. This is your Messiah. He is different than the Jesus that many of your friends and neighbors acknowledge. He's different than the Jesus who's a great prophet, a great moral example, uh, even one who sacrifices himself in death for others. He is all of that, and he is so much more. And before John introduces you to all of these other dimensions of who Jesus is as your Messiah, as your Savior, as your Lord, he takes you back to the beginning. It's a mystery, but the Bible is filled with mysteries. The mystery of how Jesus as Logos can be distinguished from God and the same as God. But that brings us to the mystery of the table. What we're doing, as Zach already mentioned, is not simply eating bread and drinking wine. We're not simply remembering something that happened in the past. There's something far more profound and far more spiritual that takes place as we eat and drink, albeit it's a mystery. See, just to generalize, big picture, three views of what's happening here today. One view is we're remembering And that's all. On the other end, there's a view that the bread and the cup are actually becoming the body and the blood of Christ. And in the middle is the Reformed and Presbyterian view. We say, no, no, it's not just our remembering. There is something profoundly spiritual happening as we eat and drink. Jesus, the Logos, really is present with us. But he's not present physically. He's present spiritually. But spiritually doesn't mean not really. Spiritually means he's present with us in a special way through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. But we are not just eating bread and drinking wine. We are not just remembering. We are doing that. And God is doing something more. God is communicating to us his grace. It's the grace that comes to us because the Logos became flesh. Lived a perfect life of righteousness in our place. Died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins was raised for our justification, ascended to the Father's throne where he reigns until the last enemy is put under his feet. 
intercedes for you day by day that you might make it all the way home. And he's coming in power and in great glory to establish his kingdom forever and ever. And that's why as you come to the table, you can't come just thinking that something is going to automatically happen. You have to come by faith. See, because what I'm talking to you about makes no sense in some ways. It's the mystery of the faith. And so you've got to come believing that God is feeding you through the Logos become flesh by the agency of the Holy Spirit as you eat and drink so that you are different as you go than when you first came because God has given you the grace of the Logos. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Um, We're sorry that we are so feeble in our understanding of the profound mysteries of who you are. We're grateful for what we do know and do know clearly. We anticipate the day when we no longer look through a glass dimly, but we can see you face to face. And uh, along the way, we are grateful that you have given us the grace of the table to encourage us, to strengthen us, to reveal yourself to us. And we pray that you would do all of this for us as we eat and as we drink. Uh, We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen.